Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. My name's Dodge. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and thrown thousands of parties across the UK. And I'm also the owner of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival. Everyone who knows me knows I love people, having a laugh <laughs> and asking lots of questions. So I've been chatting to people with one thing in common. They've all lived eventful lives. This week, I'm delving into the eventful lives of Sadie Restrick and Simon Scott Nelson. Sadie and Simon are the brains behind a network of global experts on a mission to improve mental and physical well-being in the workplace. We chat about the rise of mobile phone addiction, body dysmorphia, online trolls, and Sadie's and Simon's own experiences with stress, anxiety, and burnout. This is a really raw and honest conversation about subjects that affect so many people out there, and we can all definitely learn something from what they have to say. Here they are, two wonderful people who are the best in the business, Sadie and Simon. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Lovely to be here. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. This is a real interesting one for me. But let's get cracking. So tell us about Wellity, what it is and what you do. Well, look, Wellity's story is a combination of two individual and personal stories, mine and Sadie's really. If I take it back slightly, in 2017, I sold a small group of estate agencies. Had a bit of time on my hand, wanted to do something a bit philanthropic. And I was looking around, a bit, you know, watching the daytime TV and everyone was talking about childhood obesity and kids are really getting isolated, becoming mentally ill, putting weight on everything else. I went on a mission and within that mission, of creating a sports brand for children that was led by kids, for kids, had to be, at the time they had fidget spinners and slime and all these sorts of crazes. So it had to be led by the kids if it was gonna be relevant to the kids. And it just took me down a path, long story short, incredibly long hours, but effectively over time, a lot of life series events happened to me. You know, the normal stuff that can, relationships, lost the house, was working. Were you, mar were you married at the time here? Yeah? No, I was engaged. I was engaged. You know, we just moved into a, a big house, had the trappings from the outside, had the trappings on the inside. Things, were, you know, the, the wheels were coming off the hours I was working. There was lots of other stuff. And, you know, when you have three or four things happen and each one individually, you think I'm strong enough. I can handle that. I can really handle those. But by the time the sixth, seventh, eighth thing comes, you think, oh, do you know what? Give me a break. Mm. I had my own experience of mental health. Um, just Just break down what you mean by mental health. Financially anxious, um, I was worried where the bottom was. Uh, worry, fear, panic, working really long hours. You know, I was um, to cover it up. Was trying to was drinking a bit at night as well, and everything was like really took me down a path. Did it feel like everything was getting on top? Well, that's a massive understatement. Really? From the feeling that I had was that you're not worth anything. Is that right? It's not worth trying to be anything. You yeah. don't deserve it. Yeah. Very comfortable in feeling at the bottom, because at least I know tomorrow I'll still be at the bottom. I'm not trying to, who am I to even think I should be how long? How long did this last for? About a year, okay. the worst bit. Um, didn't want to go out, was working, isolated. Felt incredible pressure from working behind a screen because you had no physiological benefits of seeing anyone else. And I knew I just had to get off, I had to stop. You know, I was working incredible hours trying to get something off the ground. And um, so then I had to realize it was like uh, I had to get a job in my head. When I look back on it, it was like a snow globe, right? I was shaking a snow globe. I had to put it down and let it settle. Shaking it had all my worries in. 
I thought I was no good. I thought I was never going to be any good. I couldn't see a future. A very big hole at the bottom of a big hole. And the feeling was lying down on the floor as if a foot was on my chest keeping me down. And I knew from being a sort of overachiever in work and business before, I knew that I was better. But when you know that you're better, but actually you can't do anything about it because whatever it is, this mental health, that's incredibly frustrating. Were you very aware of these feelings? <laughs> no. And this is why this is exactly why my version of the path led me to starting or us starting Wellity was because I didn't know where the bottom was. I didn't know what it was. No one had spoken about mental health. I was one of three boys being brought up by a, a loving mum, you know, but it was a case of our oh, food drops on the floor, pick that up. If that happens, get over it and everything else. I didn't know what mental health was. I didn't know what anxiety was. These, are these horrible words like anxiety, depression. These are things that you... These are all the, at the moment, these are all the buzzwords at the moment, right? Yeah, and if you're not educated on them and you're not sure where the bottom is, if someone had said to me, right, I've been there, I've been there with you, you feel like X, Y, and Z, you've got this much to go, then you'll feel really down and then this will happen. But, you know, these aren't the things that will help you out. Drinking won't help you, you know, and just get some red flags, do a bit of exercise each day. The best bit of advice I had at the time was live for today and trust that tomorrow will look after you. And so I had to put this snow globe down. I had to let everything just settle. It was all, I think the phrase is coming on top mm. um, and, and leave it and go and get a job. Get out, just look after myself. And the word in well-being is selfish. And actually that's got really negative connotations sometimes, but selfish when it comes to your own well-being is incredibly important. You have to close the doors and look after yourself. And so I got a job and then I vowed that when I got my shield back, when I felt normal, when I just had a bit of self-esteem or motivation, that I would never let anyone experience what I experienced without any education or someone being there or someone to talk to. So what did you do then? If you're feeling <clears throat> these for the first time and actually realize, what did you do? Panic. Okay. Panic, incredible panic. And then you start to look around, you're comparing yourself. Comparinitis was the worst thing I ever went through. So I'd look at like people at school in my year and they were doing this. And one thing I've learned since is never to judge your timeline against everyone else's. Mm. Everyone starts at a different time, not a different place, yeah. So what year are we talking here? What year are we talking when you had this, when you realised you had mental health? 2018. 18, okay. Mm. So it's pretty pretty fresh. Yeah, and it's it really went on 2019. And what I say really is um, people say, oh, is it, is it gone now? And it never gets better. It's a bit like once you know that ghosts are in the cupboard, you'll always continue checking. Yeah. Uh, until, <laughs> until, you, until you know that ghosts are real, you're like, yeah, that doesn't exist. So what was the big wake-up call then? That was the wake-up call. You've got two kids. You've got a missus you're splitting up with. You had to sell the house. You're going through all these pressures, mental pressures. What was the next step for you? Yeah, I had some incredible lows. Um, Give me an example. Just not wanting to. I remember going out and speaking to people head down and not being able to speak. I remember walking through the city centre, my legs going and having to sit down, you know, anxious, anxiety. My self-critic, my inner critic was loud. It was in bold. It was underlined. The changing bit for me was I went to Dorney Lake in Windsor. They had the Olympics there. They did the rowing up there. And um, I thought I'm going to go for a run. And lovely, it was a sunny day and I got there and there was already a marathon on. Some of the thousands of people there, my inner critic going... Can't even choose a day to run, can you? Didn't even check. You're rubbish. <laughs> Can't even check to see if it... Anyway, yeah. and I got there and I thought... And the bloke said, are you here for the run? I thought, well, I am here for a run. Um, well, there's free parking down the bottom. I thought, oh, something's turning up. All right, I'll take that. So I went down, loads of people, but there was loads of parking down the bottom. And I turned up. And my mind was saying, you can't even run. You can't, I bet you can't even do one lap. And there are 5K laps there. Um, and I did one. And I was so bored of my inner critic. 
I was just had enough of it. It was so putting me down. Is this and, the inner critic, the little man on your shoulder talking to you? Man, it, it was horrible. Mm. It was horrible because it was just, you're useless, you can't do this. And it was just so self-limiting. So it was saying that you can't go for a run and you won't be able to do this. You're going to be tired, you're overweight, you look crap in your T-shirt and all these so things. So all this is going on in your mind? Constantly. And, wow. And I've spoken to so many people since. It is exhausting. It, it's mentally exhausting. Anyway, I did one lap, I did two laps, and I thought, and the music started to kick in. I thought, oh, the sun's out. This is nice. I thought, do you know what? I've had enough. I have had enough. My mind's telling me I can't do two laps. Did two laps. I thought, right, I'll have you. Did three laps. Did four laps. Did five laps. 25K. And on on that lap, I was <laughs> running around, and I was saying to myself, my mind says I can't do it. Yeah. I am going to run as far as I can until yeah. my legs cannot walk just to prove this thing wrong and if I can prove this is wrong and um, on the back straight I couldn't my legs I'm built to sink by the way <laughs> I'm five foot nine and I'm as wide as I am <laughs> tall and um, so I'm built to sink but I was I just thought no my legs can't and I crawled in and I thought never again and you know what I got to the end and there's a bit of dawny late at the end and um, two old women were there and they said what have you done I said oh, I don't know I'll just run <laughs> I can't move <laughs> said, what have you done that for you silly sod and I said well I suffer from anxiety. Um, and um, So like, just, just hold, hold me there. You're talking about this running anxiety. Are you running away from anything? Yeah, no. I'm running into something. Okay. I'm running into confrontation because I'd been running away. When you drink too much or where you mask your activity, where you don't or you hide or you stay inside, that's effectively running away from it. Yeah. Um, taking on your mind is proving it's wrong. And this is why one of the things with mental health is not trying to do everything. Like, I've got to be CEO and I want to get fit, but I want a good diet, but I've got to do that and I've got to have a big car. Just choose one thing. And that one thing for me then was to run as fast as you run as far as you can so your legs can't walk and prove that mm. this thing that told you you couldn't. The most liberating thing. The woman came up to me and said, I'll take a photograph of you. So I've got this photograph now at Dorney on, standing out on this jetty with my arms in the air like I, I was rocky. And to me, that was a pivotal point. And she told me that she had anxiety as well. And this is an old lady. And who knows if she hadn't opened up to someone in the past. Yeah. So there's two things there. One, I'd beaten my mind. Two, I knew that going first and talking about your mental health would often create a safe space and get other people to talk about theirs. That common bond is beautiful. Mm. And well, why actually speaking to other people about their mental health and yeah. letting it off your chest and let them speak, is that... Do you know what? When we go into organisations, we go into organisations from SMEs to some of the biggest in the world, and the biggest compliment we could ever have from anyone is someone saying, I thought it was just me. Oh, wow. It's, honestly, yeah. it still gets me the same day as when that old lady said. Um, so she took a photo, I got in the car, I could drive back fine, my mind was telling me I couldn't drive and all this, and I thought, if that's told me I couldn't do it and I did do it, what else is my mind telling me that I can't do that I can and why don't we try it and work out what we can and can't do? Try it first and then and then go from there. Was there any mental health from anxiety? Did there, any of that come from being on social media at all? Yeah, I, I've, I, social media, when you think about it, is just comparing, comparing yourself. So when you wake up in the morning and you've got your phone next to your bed, the first thing you do is turn your alarm off, which is inevitably on your phone. The next thing is go on to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. And... And the first thing you see is someone that's already walked their dog on the side of a cliff or done a yoga class or done a six mile run. And you think, Carlos, <laughs> I've failed already. I haven't even moved from my back to my front yeah. yet. And I've failed in the day and I'm not as good as anyone else. Mm. Comparing but, that's if you, but that's if you can, if you allow that to be let into your mind, right? Yeah. And, but and, that's being aware. 
Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we talk about switching off and everything else. So, but it's only when someone says it to you, you go, yeah, it is. That's why I feel so negative and down. You know, mm. if I just got up, there's a reason why racehorses are blinkered. They got one job to do and that run there as quickly as possible. Mm. And they're not bothered about whether anyone else, other horses, quite, got a snazzier jacket. I quite like on. that. It's, it's true, though, isn't it? Well, they're not worried how they look. They've got yeah. one job to do. Keep it simple. Absolutely. And then I was looking around and knew what I wanted to do. I'm not educated in terms of the degrees and all that sort of thing. Um, so I was looking around the market thinking, I've got to do this. Like When you've got a compulsion, you've got a compulsion. Mm. Who is the best in the market and how can we collaborate and what can we do? And that's when I was I came across... Um, Sadie Restrick. Sadie. Heard a lot about you, Sadie. <laughs> Talk to me. What is Sadie? What is your what is what is your world? My world, my background. Yeah. Well as you can probably imagine, there's a lot of crossover with Simon's story and mine and uh shared experiences. And the reason that I started on this journey towards workplace well being. So I my first real proper job was in recruitment and a very high pressure role that didn't really suit my personality. Where, Someone where were you based in London at the time, is it? London and Essex okay. yeah so really high pressure and I'd always been someone who was quite anxious particularly with my grades at school you know if it was an A why wasn't it an A star it's not good enough an A <laughs> Jesus I'll be, I'll be over the moon with an A I was thinking God, am I going to get a C <laughs> <laughs> but I constantly felt like I had something to prove so very much that fixed mindset that what I was doing just wasn't enough and so it's very much you know it's that high functioning anxiety that I constantly have to be perfect and prove what I can do and that didn't really work too well with me in that high pressure environment and reached a point where I was working really, really excessive hours. I remember I was on holiday in the Caribbean and I was getting really stressed because of the internet and the hotel and I, I couldn't access the things that I needed to, to check on my job and just couldn't switch off. And it just consumed me. And what, what year are we talking here, Sadie? 2009. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, 08, 09, t a tough time in the business world, full stop. But yeah, essentially reached that point and just broke down in the office. Um, manager was really, really compassionate and said, you're clearly not cut out for the job, <laughs> <laughs> which is always what you want to hear, isn't it? So, yeah. What was, what was his name? Oh, let's not name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was signed off. So that they said you need some time away from work. Okay, and but you're still getting paid. Doctor. Yeah, I was okay. still pay being paid. They sent you. They said, "Go and see a doctor." Yeah. Wow. Okay. They they didn't know what to do with me. They okay. didn't know how to have a conversation with me. They didn't really know what else to say other than like, "Oh dear, off you go." Was that you putting yourself under pressure to yeah. earn more money, or was that your bosses putting you under pressure? That was me wanting to prove what I could do, and that's the problem with burnout syndrome. The first stage is a twelve-stage process, and the first stage is a compulsion to prove yourself and to prove your potential. So you're going to work longer hours. Okay. You're yeah. going to say yes. You're going to say, "Yeah, I can do that. I can yeah. take on that," and embrace those opportunities okay. to demonstrate your potential. So that was very much me. So there's twelve steps to burnout. Mm -hmm. Tell me number two to twelve, please. This is amazing. <laughs> or not even you'd have to do them in order, but just keep. keep tell me a bit more. Okay, so it's quite an in-depth model, yeah. so I'll give you the, the overview. Yeah, yeah. So this just, is keep based... it, just keep it top level. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So <laughs> this is based on the work by someone called Freudenberger, and it is very much that first stage. That I want to prove what I can do yeah. to myself, to the company, to my family. I want to prove how I can be a success, essentially. Yeah. So we're going to grab opportunities to enable us to do that. So first and foremost, that means we start to neglect other things in our lives because our work is our life. And, you know, very much we we allow that to consume us. We, of course, we're going to work longer hours. Yeah. We're going to work over the weekend. We're going to start to neglect the hobbies, the activities, the, you know, the time with our loved ones because, no, I need to show what I can do. Yeah. Other people start to identify this. They start to pick up on it. So I don't really see as much of you. You're never at home. Yeah. 
we don't like this being confronted. So we tend to sort of push back on that and say that you don't understand. Yeah. So, so there's this sense of denial. You don't get it. You don't understand what my job's like. You don't understand the pressures okay. I'm under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start to really start to think that this is something that I don't like these being confronted, yeah. my choices. So we withdraw. We start to isolate and think that no, you just don't understand. Yeah, so rather wow. than have to tackle those confrontations, we just isolate ourselves away from them and say that no, you just don't understand what I'm wow. going through. It's and true, what isn't it? Hmm, of course mm. it is. I and relate to all of this. <laughs> Everything you say. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the beauty when you start to see it and you do, as Simon said, when we're delivering these sessions, people are like, yeah, yeah. that's me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you see that light bulb, yeah. I can yeah. relate to yeah. that. And it's, isn't it? It's like, it's not just me. Mm. And with that, that revelation, you start to unpick as to what's actually contributing to those drivers. But if you don't, it's such a slippery slope. And that's the slope that I found myself on. And you reach a point where that end goal of proving that I'm a success, you never ever reach. Yeah. You're constantly saying, I'll be successful when. Yeah. I'll have proved myself when. Mm. But that's a, it's a journey, it's not mm. a destination. So you're Absolutely. constantly striving forward for something that's constantly shifting and yeah. moving. Yeah. So you reach a point where it's a sense of, emptiness because you, well, I still haven't got there. I'm mm. exhausted. Yeah. I'm not spending time doing the things that I enjoy yeah. and I'm still not there. Yeah. And that's when we start to see the impact of that chronic stress and the exhaustion, the emotional just, and it's literally burning out. And mm. the, the term itself actually originated with the concept of literally a burnt out building. Mm. Because from the exterior, mm. it often looks perfectly fine. It's only inside that you know the extent of the damage. Yeah. And it's very much the case with somebody who's moving towards that burnout position is that the outside, they're all right. They're yeah. performing, they're functioning. Yeah. You know, they seem perfectly fine in what they're doing. But it's inside the trauma that that's causing yeah. that's the, the real problem. And if you add drink and drugs into the mix as well. Yeah, that's quite a concoction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly with the self-awareness because with substances such as that, it's just pushing it away just like mm. we push other people away who are telling us you know you're never around you're not quite yourself you never seem to like want to come out and do the things that you used to do you seem really quiet you're always working yeah. we push that away yeah and when this the feelings and the thoughts start to you know bubble under the surface that i am quite unhappy and i'm really frustrated i feel really overwhelmed Ugh, don't like that let's yeah. drink that blocks yeah. that out flood yeah. that out yeah because it it goes against that end motivation of I want to prove and I want to you know, reach my yeah. potential. So anything that gets in the way of that, we just push at arm's yeah, length wow. and we'll use whatever we can to help us to do that. And then they start drinking and then after the first two or three drinks, people might get on, might start doing cocaine and mm -hmm. the cocaine takes around the clock, which is sleep deprivation. Then they wake up and realize they've got a job they don't like and they're under pressure. Mm -hmm. Wow. But your inner critic is a bully. Your inner critic is a bully that relies on you not telling anyone relies on you not dobbing him in or her in. Is and that so, because you don't want to be shown up? or you No, it's your inner critic. So so it just keeps having a go at you. And when you talk to someone, this is why it's good to talk, it starts to go, okay, you're you're outing me. I'll leave you alone a bit. Or it says, go on, have a drink. Like you just said, yeah. have, a, have a drink. And it's true. It shuts it up. It does. It shuts it up for a bit. But what it's doing is luring you in. Yeah. Because what it's doing next morning, you're going to pay for it and you'll yeah. pay for it worse and you'll have another drink. And, and then there's more paranoia kicking in the following morning yeah. and fear and all the other things that happen. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? And then the, the, the thing really is that people then feel alone, right? They feel alone. They feel isolated. I did. I relate to everything that Sadie said. And you're only at point two. And, uh, mm. and then, but what, what is it? You want to be part of a pack. So actually talking about it lets you not be on your own. You've found more individuals. You've effectively found a new gang that understands what you're doing. Um, and and I, I relate to what you just said, say it's about the pressure. So so 
when I was doing the the other the other role where where I started, it was the I was doing everything on it's like a social veneer. It was like a perfect veneer, which is why you should never pay any attention to social media. Believe nothing of what you hear and half of what you see. Another piece of great piece of advice that I was given, and it's so true because I was putting stuff on social media that made me look as if I was taking over the world and I knew perfectly well behind the scene I wasn't and yeah. that level of like a swan a swan at the top and flapping underneath but pulling it. yourself up to yeah. the level each day is yeah. exhausting you yeah. might as well just lower your expectations it's like starting a race 100 metres behind the start line by the time you get to the start line you're knackered just bring the start isn't line isn't it funny though before closer. social media there was no expectation high expectations no one had to prove anything to each other and no of course we weren't constantly seeking that validation that we're wow. doing okay and we're doing a good job and to not let that facade slip mm. and we always talk about in the sessions you know that you see other people's showreel you don't see the behind the scenes yeah you don't see what's going on. Just exactly as you said with the swan. Yeah. Everyone is frantically paddling, trying to stay afloat and trying to keep that composure and that sense of calm. And oh, I've got this, yeah. I can do this. And their mind is telling them otherwise and they're constantly battling it. And that's the inner critic that Simon's mm. talking about. And you know, essentially these are what we call ants. So they're automatic negative thoughts and they breed under stressful environments as part of our survival instinct. And yeah. they they really do invade our mind and they make everything more difficult. And you know, they really make us question our ability to cope with situations. So that's why, as Simon was saying, talking to other people just helps to quieten that voice. Yeah. And it helps us to realize that we can actually overcome that challenge and that pressure, but sometimes you can't do it on your own. Mate, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. I was summarizing those yeah, points. Some, so, yeah, so just give us, a, give us a summary of that because this is all about anxiety, right? It starts with stress, then it leads to anxiety, then it leads to depression. So people take it as a given that life's stressful. You know, we hear it all the time, don't yeah. we? It's just people say, yeah, it's a bit stressed. Yeah. We don't hear that and think, oh my God, they're stressed. Quick, yeah. we need to act. But is that because it's such a blase word? Yeah, of course it oh, yeah, is. I'm stressed at work. Yeah, if yeah you, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, if you were to hear a colleague say they're a bit stressed, you wouldn't quickly rush them to emergency yeah. services. We just take it as a given that it's yeah. part of life. But the problem is when it's chronic and constant. So one of the most common reactions to the stress response is those ants, those negative thoughts. Yeah. So it's, it's worrying more, everyone worries more. They ruminate, they, they feel overwhelmed, they overthink situations, they fear cast, which is forecasting the future with fear. And so if you're constantly- Hold on, hold on, hold on, I like that, fear cast. Yeah, so it's, it's when you're constantly thinking the worst, you're catastrophizing. Yeah. So you, your imagination runs right of all the things that could or might happen from the situation. But do you know, does that stem from being a child, the way you're brought up, do you reckon, of having fear? Or this country putting fear into people by just negative crap news the whole time? And well, this, must a have a, this must have a knock-on effect, <laughs> Well, when I, was, when I was paralyzed behind a computer, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I had to just be there for 12 hours because everyone was saying, you've got to be at your desk for like, so. But when you're so confused, when you're so, and your mind is racing, you're not productive at all. Mm. And when you talk about ruminating fear casting, for me, it was, I am going to be 55, 60. I'm going to be absolutely redundant. I'm going to have no money. I'm going to be in a one-bed flat. My kids are going to hate me, everything Bloody else. Hell. That's how bad, but it's so real. It really is real because what anxiety does is accelerates you straight to the future. And if that future is awful, you are in it. I and mean, you fear are, casting. You're physically in it. It's real to you. It's really real, mm. which is why it's very hard to get out of. And is there a is there a kind of point where you don't want to speak to anyone because you're going to show some weakness? Hmm? Is that why people don't speak to people, do you think? Yeah, of course. Those ants, yeah. they're telling you, put this on yourself. Should be able to cope with this. Everyone else can cope with this. What's oh, wrong with you? Okay. So that essentially, I mean, this whole it's okay to not be okay, right? We've all heard yeah, this. Yeah. 
when you're okay, that's fine. Yeah. You know, and you think, yeah, I'd talk to someone if I was struggling. Yeah. But when you're in that moment and those negative thoughts are running riot, they stop you from talking out. Stress, anxiety, and depression, I think it links them all is isolation and withdrawal because we, we feel that we should be able to cope with it and we bring it on ourselves. All that negativity, that guilt, that burden, you know, it stops us from talking because we think we're going to get judged. So we just further isolate ourselves. Mm. So that's what makes it so hard. And it's one thing, you know, the whole subject of mental health is really climbed the agenda since I started working in the industry. But, you know, it's it's the fact that we have to acknowledge that you can't expect someone to always speak up and, and talk and say, it's, it's good to talk. Yeah. Because you need to recognize it's not always an easy thing to do, yeah. particularly if the other person isn't very good at listening. Yeah. And you put that into the workplace and someone's built, they spent 20, 30 years building an image, building a career, building yeah. a corporate, going up the corporate ladder and everything else. You ask them to change it. You know, we look, we look at some of the senior leaders who have been in the companies for 20, 30, 40 years. When they were on the school playground 30, 40 years ago, to be called mental was an insult. Yeah, I agree. You know, and now we're asking people. I still that, don't like that word, mental health. It should be mind health. Because the mental health, it's got these connotations of when you're a kid at school or someone thinks someone's mental or whatever. You Google physical health, mm. right? You get people in sweatbands doing in the sunshine, yeah. doing exercises, yeah. feeling great. You Google mental health. Yeah. So you've got black clouds, light, light. Yeah. lightning it's coming true, down people it, yeah. with their head in their hands and yet but would someone want to say yes I've got mental health issues I've got mental health issues the chances are very low surely but that's when it comes down to more educational awareness about what we're actually talking about when we're talking about mental health mm. and you know there's a lot of increase in this teaching people about different conditions and disorders and the subject of mental health is so so complicated and yeah. complex we need to be talking about emotional well-being we need to be talking about resilience yeah. We need to be talking about, particularly in the workplace, emotional intelligence and actually truly being there for other people, understanding. You talked about self-awareness earlier, mm, yeah. and that's critically what we're talking about. And our physical health fluctuates and changes, so does our mental health, and it just needs to be more normalised. So it's not like that you're having to raise your hand above the parapet and be like, oh my God, I need help with my mental health. Yeah. You know, that it's just, you know, it's fluctuating in, in its state, in my state of overall well-being. Why are we making a distinction between the two, that they're, they're two separate entities? They're not. They're, they're us as a whole. And we need to treat it as such because they each have an impact on each other, don't they? I love the work you're doing. So basically, over the last three, four years, you've set up a company called Wellity and you're going to the biggest companies around the world and talking about this and bringing this subject up within their companies. Yeah, so Sadie's been Sadie's been going for 10 years, yeah. over 10 years, you know, Emma, master's in um, workplace well-being, everything else, you know, European speaker. Where, where did you get the master's? University of Nottingham. Wow. Yeah. And then your degree? So my original degree was in Bournemouth. In Bournemouth, yeah, of course yeah. we had, of course we <laughs> yeah. That's why you're so happy to be back down I here, am. aren't I'm you? I'm delighted to be here. It's like I've gone home. <laughs> but yeah, tell, tell me more. Tell me more about what you do within, within companies. We create safe spaces. So we create so so everything we're doing is is at the moment is um, in response to the, to the uh, the crisis that we've been going through, and we're very adaptive. So it could be like people coming back to the office is now a big thing. So it's great in that safe space. People who have been in the office for the last year are welcoming everyone else who's who's coming back. So it's it's really specific stuff on how you can deal with it. Yes, we've got mental health trainers, train the trainers, um, and all the other services and products that you'd associate with mm. that. And we really create a safe space. So we've got a 200 e-learning platform, 250 different courses, and all this to mate. the organization. You've got 250 different courses on your platform. Yeah. Wow. So there's a tech, pro tech product that's being developed in the background, um, which will be going into SMEs. And the people who need it, the people who need it either on the agenda who are looking forward to options. We're, 
it's a sales it's a uh, sorry not a sales it's a support yeah. um team that we're growing and so you imagine like hr professionals now they've been doing everything they're doing the contracts and now suddenly this new well-being thing yeah. come in and it's a bit like the geography teacher at school that that someone said oh can you teach pe as well yeah and they're like you're not <laughs> like okay i'll do it but there's all these hr professionals who are trying to think well what is good enough and it yeah. is, is well, they don't enough. know they might not know they might not have any budget yeah um, they might not know what to do. And all we're doing is supplying people with options and facilities. I love these guys. This is amazing business. It's a plug-in well-being. It really is. But what we what we appreciate is that we're there to support the HR people and the well-being. And we're also support the education and the language that's being so used. So how does your business model work? Tell me how your business model works. If a friend of mine's got a company with 100 staff and he's really into well-being and wants to understand this and wants to look after his members of staff what how, how would you approach and how would you how would you how's the business model work i think the first thing to, is to emphasize that it's not a one-size-fits-all yeah. so we would initially have a conversation around what they've got what they'd like and how much information they have about what their people need and want you know there's yeah. a lot of guess and speculation around what people what's good for people's well-being yeah. but essentially that's very very individual so we engage with them what evidence they have to demonstrate their understanding of their staff current levels of well-being and what could improve that and what that looks like so we'd have that initial conversation and put together a strategy um, based on what they currently have and where we see improvements could be made so typically that yes that would include training but that training itself is customized to the business and the sector they're within mm. we're very much and what stands us sort of apart from the competition is the fact that we're very much focused on engagement so just because you build it doesn't mean people will come. We mm. could provide an, an exceptional training, virtually a lot of the time at the moment, yeah. an amazing knowledgeable trainer. But if people aren't engaged as to why yeah. their company is providing it, and there's a lot of cynicism about box ticking, you yeah. know, my company doesn't really care. Oh, right, okay, yeah, well, they're just doing that. For yeah, keep, yeah, precisely, yeah, yeah, yeah. because they have to, because yeah. there's a lot of pressure on at the moment. People are talking about it. Free Fruit Friday, that's all great, but you know, my, my bosses are such and such. Free you know. Fruit Friday. <laughs> but there are, there's these short-term initiatives to try yeah, and show that we're why we're waving the flag of yeah. wellbeing. We really care about this. It's yeah. important to us as a business. And it's like, but what are you actually doing on a day-to-day -day operational basis mm. to ensure that people aren't killing themselves, working under pressure with a boss who's a bully, that they're working ridiculous hours, they're not seeing their loved ones. You know, all the free fruit in the world isn't going to combat that. So mm. we we really are quite keen on the engagement piece that we're, yes, we're providing training solutions and learning events, but essentially we're making sure that people want to turn up to that session ready yeah. to learn, that we understand their, their push points, we understand what that affects them as an individual. So when they arrive at that training, they think this is for me, this yeah. has been provided because my company genuinely cares about yeah. my well-being. So we use engagement videos, flyers to create that experience because a training event is an experience teaching people about how to manage their well-being it should be an experience so we think do we want them to be inspired motivated educated enlightened mm. and how can we create that experience from the training they attend because that's how people learn mm. you know we've all been there at school when there's been a really dull lecture mm. teacher mm. and you're just like oh, oh you don't yeah. listen do you yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you're going to teach and you're going to train you want people to walk away from that session thinking i can i can use this in my I life empowered yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely then we need to think about that whole journey and how we can create that and it's creating culture that care yeah. so you look at um that that's effectively what creating culture that cares yeah yeah and normalizing the conversation around mental health yeah. we're very sympathetic the business owners still have a job to do you still got yeah. to get you still got to get money in yeah um it's not a case of everything else stops and people you know a lot of clients say well you know we don't want people you know being off three or four days a week just because well look, there's a balance and we know there's a balance and we work with with so many organizations now that we can strike that balance with mm. you 
but it is creating that culture of care. So in the in the good old day, you know, you have the kickoffs, you know, having the old mentality of booze, banter, and burnout, right? Where you sort of right, we're, we're going to Barcelona, <laughs> yeah. we're going to LA for four days, and I want you to mix with the rest of the Amir team, yeah. and I want you to speak to this guy, yeah. get this guy drunk as well, because he he gives loads of information when he's gone. And if you don't come back with a signed contract, so you're up till yeah. four in the morning, you're like, drink, 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 right? Oh, and by the way, I'll see you at breakfast at six thirty because the CEO's there, and you got to impress yeah. them, right? I'll carry on with one and a half hours sleep, still hungover, then, yeah, and I'll sit in lectures all day and then we'll go it's unsustainable <laughs> it's unsustainable and i think this day and age is changing yeah. where people might want to go still good fun those <laughs> <days> though, <aren't laughs> they? yeah yeah when is the next one yeah and and the, but i think things are changing when they think you know i'm i'm actually value my family now you know everything's changed priorities yeah. have changed and i want to go to bed at 10 11 o'clock i want to look at my job as a professional thing but my values are really important i want to go back i want to speak to the kids at 10 before they go to bed mm. so there's a new group emerging you know mm. and we speak to the likes of Gymshark, where they got really young staff coming through and their culture is completely different. It's yeah. not all about money. It's not 30 grand on the basic. It could be their boss they work for, the image they, yeah. they want to portray, their job title, and really the culture that's there. Agree. And um, and so we go into these corporate companies and say, right, if you're going to do a four-day kickoff, please be aware that if everyone's hungover, this is how they're going to feel, dehydrated and everything. They might need X, Y, and Z. Don't have your lecture at that time because everyone will be asleep. Yeah. And also the people have gone to bed at 10 o'clock, just as valuable the night before. They might want to get up and have a swim or a yoga or something else in the morning. So we sort of go in and just try and create that culture and get away from that booze, banter and burnout. Seems like the world is going that way, isn't it? Yeah. But again, it can only go that way by people like yourselves beating the drum about this it... and bringing it to people. You know, even people listening here, a lot of people are going to relate to this podcast. And give them options yeah. and let them know, right, okay, well-being is personal. There's no broad brush. You know, we do with, with transport companies, for example, that might have a certain demographic that might be 50, 60 year old drivers, and they are not going to want to know how to, or, or, or the demographic might be a socioeconomic group that can't mm. afford a lot or something. And then you're talking about, oh, fresh fruit. Yeah, you've got to peel kiwis like this. Mm. You've got to do this. And I think you can't do anything for a kiwi. This is completely yeah. unrelatable to what I'm going through. So the part of mental health, what do you see most within businesses? You said mental health a minute ago, you've got all these different mm -hmm. factors of it, whether it's anxiety and stress and pressure and da da da. What's the biggest one you say? Stress. It's stress. It's stress and pressure. Yeah. And that's why all these sort of ad advanced developments and things like mental health first aid are great, but it's just going back to basics. And that's what a lot of the work we do, and you know, what Simon alluded to with that creating that culture that cares, is going back to leadership behaviours and making sure that managers know the impact of their own behaviour and that dynamic between our workplace and our well being and thinking about their role in coaching people to be their best and mm. to help them to reach their potential. And a lot of what we're focusing on with those leaders at the moment is this relationship that people have with failure and mm. redefining what it means to fail and saying to people, you know, what would you do? What would you try if you knew you couldn't fail? Yeah. If that wasn't even a concept that, that you're experimenting, you're learning. And yeah. we, we talk about A, B, C, D, E. So always be continually developing and evolving. Yeah. You know, constantly learning and growing from situations and challenges and encouraging leaders in their meetings to not just to say to people what went well, did you hit target, but what didn't go well this week? Yeah. What did it teach you? Yeah. And encourage people to talk about that openly because that we know we often try and sort of suppress it. And yeah. God, better not talk about that. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm experiencing shame, and shame's a really powerful emotion. It goes mm. back to sort of prehistoric times where we thought we we're going to get kicked out the tribe. You know, so we don't like shame because it means we're going to be judged by other people. But it's about flicking that switch to look more towards vulnerability, authenticity, and that, you know, it's, it's good to fail. Yeah, That teaches us something. So that's a lot of the work we're doing is around that and also switching off. You either win or you learn, right? What was yeah. The, what was the, um, the owner of Spanx? 
um, and Sarah Blakely. Sarah, Sarah Blakely, Blakely yeah. in 2012. She, I think she was the youngest female billionaire. And um, someone was interviewing and said, "Well, what, what, what drove you to be do that?" And she said, "Well, when I was when I was young, when I was a young girl, I used to come home from school, and I used to say, yeah, I got an A plus in this, got an A B in that.' And my dad used to say, "What did you fail at, though? What did you fail at? Give me three things that you've tried and yep. failed at today." And and she said that drove her because embracing failure and creating a culture that is, makes you allowed to try gives you actually room for growth, growth mindset, and allows you. I mean, how, if you keep doing the same thing, you're never going to change. Absolutely. So. It's creating that safe space and we actually value, don't we? We say to everyone, well, we want you to fail at some yeah. things because that's how do we know we're moving forward if mm. you're not failing? Isn't it funny how people have got the fear of failure? Fear of, you know, especially setting up your own business because you're putting yourself out there. Mm. You know, the fear of what your mum and dad are think, the fear of what your, your, your mates are think. You find out who your true friends are as well when you set up a business. You're hardwired. You know? Yeah. yeah. You're hardwired, aren't you? Literally in the, in the way that, Something might have happened, I can't do this and I can't do that. I mean, who is this almighty person that says what you should and shouldn't be doing, what you can and can't be doing? I mean, let's go out yeah. for a drink with them. They seem to have all the answers. Mm. In fact, the thing is, that doesn't person exist. It's a culmination mm. of what someone may have said, you know, against you and people being nasty to you or horrible to you when you were younger, but also people can overprotect you as well, mm. can not give you that room to... What do you think What do you think this lockdown's done for people's minds? From an adverse impact, mm. it's really affected people's work-life balance because essentially a lot of people have been working from home. Yep. So that distinction between leaving the office, which was, you know, it's been a, a tougher and tougher boundary to make. There's no distinction there. So it's, be it's got become like work-life integration. You know, we live where we, work, where we live at the moment. And people are sort of migrating back to the workplace and we're seeing this hybrid working environment. But I think it, it's, ha it's made people really struggle to know how to switch off and push back. And a lot of the organizations we work with, you know, their manager might contact them eight at night and normally they could reply with saying, oh, no, sorry, I'm out at dinner. Even yeah. if that wasn't a complete excuse. You can't, you know, you they can't, can't lock it. down, can you? Of course you can't. What are they going to say? <laughs> oh, I'm at home and I don't want to. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that distinction was, was much harder to make. And obviously throughout lockdown, we couldn't socialise in the way that we would typically do. So mm. we were relying on tech, social mm. media, WhatsApp, Zoom, mm. to interact with other people. And whilst that's a huge contributor to our well-being, to have that social connection when we're constantly doing it through digital platforms, you know, this again means we're not switching off from all these devices. Mm. It's becoming a constant. So huge, huge contributor from, mm. a, from a negative point of view is that fact that this reliance on devices and emails working around the clock, mm. connecting with people around the clock through these different um, tech platforms yeah. and it does have an impact tell me tell me what your thoughts are on this whole addiction to the actual mobile phone itself <laughs> didn't you say that? i mean something about you know the americans there's no um the reason why they call it a cell phone is because you are trapped you're trapped mm. in it you're, you're <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true isn't it yeah it's meant to give us more freedom but actually gives yeah. us more constraint yeah yeah absolutely and we call it the, the blackberry evolution you know when these devices first came out the excitement of like wow i've got this device yeah, and i can check my right. email yeah, yeah, yeah it was amazing wasn't yeah. it yeah and now people do they just feel trapped they feel tethered to it yeah. and every time there's an alert or notification you know any ideas what the average amount of time a work email goes unread for how long it sits in that inbox yeah. average time what do you reckon as a guess <sighs> Well, you're going to smash my stat a week. Yeah, two days. Six seconds. <laughs> but it sits there unread. 
to six seconds You're is the average amount me. of time. That's how reactionary we are to these devices. We hear it we're six constantly on it. Six seconds. Do you know what? I don't do email. I'm glad I don't do email. <laughs> <laughs> I run my whole business on WhatsApp, but yeah, that's a different different. You know when you've got all these diver diversions, you've got everything pinging and ponging. It's just another thing that I in. don't want. You know when you've got your computer screen open, you've got all the tabs don't open use at a computer. the top. <laughs> right, I know, like, you're speaking to the wrong person. I run, <laughs> I, actually, my addiction, my thing is this mobile phone. I run my whole everything off this mobile phone but i try to keep as many uh options closed down for people contacting me so i just put anyone who does end up getting in contact go to whatsapp got their mobile but the double click double tick i've seen you've read it you've seen i've read it we can do a deal whether it's a sponsorship deal or whatever it may be and then i'm away i've got one channel but at the moment i don't want an instagram channel i don't want a linkedin there's all these different channels where everyone's coming at different angles and it it's not conducive but you know it's a drug right when you get that ding on your phone that you know what that releases? Dopamine. dopamine yeah. It's a drug. It's the same thing, you know, cocaine, nicotine, um, alcohol. And what happens is you get so used to it, you want more. So, you know, when you talk about work, and it's yeah. very easy to put up, keep posting on social media. Yeah. And, and you look at the end of the year and someone says, well, how much revenue you got from that? And you go, well, nothing. Yeah. Well, why are you doing it? It's because there's, you need that constant release, that constant drug. And I know that teenagers especially know you know, if, if they don't if they put a post up and it gets under 30 likes or something like that, delete it because mm. it's their social... Uh, their profile, mm. their digital profile. That's worrying, isn't it? They're not doing it just to put it up. They're I putting... find it really worrying, if I'm honest with you. I'm on Clubhouse. I don't know if you're on Clubhouse. I've been on Clubhouse, and there was adults on there, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old, all talking and discussing TikTok and how they can get more into TikTok to get their business more. And I had to stop and I had to speak and say, guys, do you realise that you're all speaking like 16-year-olds, 17, 18-year-olds, fighting for this little TikTok space? It's just weird. It's just weird. And but you know what? Because it's free, every business owner believes, and I'm I'm part of it as well, I guess. And you know, I've just got back into I've just set up an Instagram account six months ago. And you are looking at it. You are, you know, even if you say you're not, you are at times. But you can create your own new persona, don't you? So Yeah, you, you can, can think, Well, oh, I've not been done so much, I haven't done this and suddenly you've got this and we all know people you go on there and go, Who is this? Yeah not the person I know and yeah. you know I've been guilty of it so yeah. for the point of authenticity that was when in the first you know when I had my issues everything mm. your social veneer is very different to your yeah, life absolutely. it's exhausting to keep up I took myself off all social media for 12 months last year Did you? I know you said I was envious amazing 12 months boom off off everything no Facebook no the, the Instagram off what did it do what did it clear your mind just out? cleared and calmed my mind even more I'm quite a calm person anyway but I just took out anything what friends of friends were doing or anything that you saw or someone who like it just took everything away and I just lived this really really simple life because you're real it. but I loved it I felt like I was back in the 80s or 90s again when it wasn't allowed yeah. do you know what I mean and you're having proper conversations with your mates or you're you know the you do go and have a holiday and you've got what's that group of your, your 10 pals or, or, or some couple friends on different groups and you just put it on there and it's yeah. it's real and it's been amazing, it really has. But when I got back on it, I felt lost lamb. I was like, oh my God, everything's changed. Oh my God, I don't like this. Because I used to enjoy not picking up the phone all the time. You know, pick up the phone for your WhatsApps and the, and, and your mates and, your, and the deals or whatever you're doing. But actually picking up the phone to just instantly, oh. It, it was very, very calming not being on it. And when you're back on it now, it's been so rewarding, don't get me wrong, because of we've gone public and this podcast has blown up and the Instagram's blown up and things have blown up and the Harry Redknapp shows come on the back of these things. Which is brilliant, man. It's been amazing. Yeah, everything's come about really, it's, it's, it's worked, but I still don't like social media. 
I'd prefer not to be on it if I was honest with you. But it's not just that feeling less overwhelmed and overload, like that sensory overload that you mm. get when you go on all these platforms, but it's your productivity and concentration if yeah. it is disturbing your work. You're four times more productive if you turn off social media, if you don't have those constant totally notifications. Yeah, because you keep getting drawn in different directions yeah. and you can't focus on the one thing at hand. And when you're constantly being distracted, it generally takes you 15 minutes to get back in the flow state of the activity you were previously on. Is that right? So if you think how many times there's an email, you know, social media, mm. WhatsApp, you know, mm. these things that pull us in different directions. When you're constantly being interrupted and distracted from a, from a task, it strips your IQ by 10 points. So it has more of an impact on, on your IQ than marijuana does. So but that's a lot that we're yeah. constantly stripping ourselves of our IQ mm. because we're constantly looking at this and looking at that, looking at mm. this. And it really, really does have an impact. See, it's just boundaries. It's just turning it so off. So I've I turn all my notifications off. So if I have to go into something, I will go into apart from WhatsApp. I have to go into the app. And then I get to a point I say, well, you know, I'm taking the app off my phone. And if I really want to go into Instagram, mm -hmm. I will have to log in. I'll yeah. oh, ball like log in. But actually that works. Because if you really want to go in, you've got to put your, your email and your mobile number. In fact, they've got a face recognition thing now. It's madness, But I isn't love it because you're in control then. You're in control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there yeah. are some positives to social media. Yeah. But it's the scrolling, isn't it? It's the... It's the boredom. It's, the, it's being self-aware of knowing when you're having a conversation and... You're in a restaurant and someone goes to the toilet. First thing you do is boom, grab the phone and flick and see what else. And before they get back, you quickly put it down as if, as if you haven't looked. No, but actually my self-awareness is is that. But when I look into restaurants now, I'll see five kids and four parents all on their phones in a restaurant. Well, there's so much do you know what that's called? That. It's so bad. Fubbing. 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 Go on. Phone snubbing when you're yeah. actually meant to be in a conversation, you know. So I know, really noticed when we first came in here, you've covered your phone up yep. away from, and even in the first meeting we had, you took your watch off as well, because yep. that's something that you keep pulling me up. The watch is buzz, yep. buzz, 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 yep. buzz. And the initial reaction is just to look at it. But when you're sort of there, but you're not present, and you're but snubbing them because you're on your phone. Yeah. Do you know what I really don't like is you go into business meetings, and someone puts their phone on the table, face upwards, even if face downwards, there's, there's two ways of it. Someone puts their phone down face upwards, and you're in a business meeting. You're not the most important. They're not the most important thing if you've got a phone there. If you turn the phone upside down, you're giving them a little bit of respect to say, oh, yeah, you're, you're still second fiddle in this, but I can actually turn it over my one. Put the phone on the floor. Yeah, but Put the phone away. People, so a lot of people actually feel anxious just from being parted from their phone. Yeah. So this, this nomophobia, like is no mobile phobia, that, that, that literally <laughs> separation anxiety. Love it. It is literally separation anxiety. Yeah. And part of this is something called extension of self theory that because these devices, they hold the music, the yeah. photos, the memories, everything that contributes to us as a person, as an individual. So it's, it like becomes an extension of ourselves, quite literally, and like another limb. And when that's taken from us, it's like, oh no, I need that, I need yeah. that nearby. And there was a study done so that basically when we're stressed, one of the biggest things that's hindered is our ability to problem solve, think laterally, think rationally, think logically. Mm. And this study, they did it time and time again and kept getting the same results, that when, they were given, when people were given tasks to do in problem solving, if they had their phone mm. face down, so they didn't use it, it was just near them in their proximity versus people who had their phone taken away from them consistently. The people who had that comfort blanket, their phone sitting next to them performed better because they were less stressed. But the people who had it taken away from them, they had the anxiety. Then they put a slight putting the heart monitors on them to see and their heart oh rate spiked God. because it got taken away. And even in training sessions, when I do training sessions on digital burnout, when physically we could be in a room with people, mm. I would ask for a couple of volunteers to say, right, can you raise your hand and say, right, can you pass me your phone? And they're like, I've already taken it, I've, I've turned it off. I'm already starting to feel the act of your yeah. phone. <laughs> and I was like, can I just, can I have it? 
and I put it at the front. They yeah. can see it. I'm not doing anything yeah. with it. But and halfway through the session, I say, "How are you feeling?" They're like, oh, a bit anxious, a bit, bit worried, yeah. and it's it's physically being parted from yeah. that device, and that goes to show. And I said, "Is it something particularly you want to look at? Are you mm. worried that?" I said, "They said I don't like it being away from me," and it's that driver yeah. that we need to address. And that's why I love your point around the logging in, mm. because it's that self awareness of just how reliant I've got on my device, yeah. how smart I need to be with these smartphones, yeah. you know, and just being more conscious because. Even when you said when somebody goes to the bathroom, if you're in, first thing you do, pick yeah. up your phone. So when you're frustrated, when you're bored and you have a window of time, we go into the same loop. Mm. So everyone has their own loop. So mine would be WhatsApp, email, LinkedIn, yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And you go round and round yeah. and round. And often you see a post that draws you in, but you keep going consistently around. Yeah. So the thing that you do in mm. relation to taking the app off, so you have to have to log in, yeah. stops the loop. So you actually stop, actually have to do something. So you're not just constantly reacting to round and round and round we go, because that's just consumption. Yeah. It, habit. yeah, of course it is, yeah, but it, it, is. It, it takes time to break habits. About three weeks is minimum to break habits. Yeah. So the fact that you did it for 12 months yeah. and had a detox yeah. and what a revelation that's been, it's incredible. Best thing I've ever done. Mm, I bet it was. It was just beautiful because when I was with people, I was with them. It wasn't with them and having a little glance. It wasn't with them and oh, I contact you on WhatsApp. I was actually, with them and giving my time i think you stopped alcohol as well and alcohol is another thing that like you you can you can drink you say i have bits and bobs but you've always got this thing about oh i need to go and get that bottle in or i should have this or do i buy too much and then even that's a thing isn't it about the anxiety of starting and then worried that you've either got enough there or that you don't actually feel like doing yeah. it and i think that detox from it all it really gives you that sense of empowerment back to show that you can do it and what's important yeah what is important do you know it's funny going back to your thing there we went on a, a lad's long lunch a couple of days ago and everyone was on the mobiles or everyone drinking rosé, everyone's getting excited, the sun's out down down here. And this, I said, right lads, all put your mobiles in the middle. First one's to ring, takes the bill. So everyone's <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so it was there 15 minutes, but it's, you just made, made that point. People were like, oh, come on, someone just ring. I need to get my phone. I need to check on that email coming through. I need to check on that WhatsApp. But we're having the best fun. Anyway, as soon as it went, someone, someone's thing, uh, uh, Someone's phone rang or beeped. Everyone was straight for theirs and refreshing mm. the WhatsApp and contacting people again. It was literally 15 minutes maximum. But have you ever left your phone at home or, or the battery's gone there? When, when that responsibility has been taken away from you, it's lovely. I love leaving my phone at home when I'm going for a long walk. Yeah. yeah. And you, I have to be self-aware to go, oh, I'm going for a long walk. But it's, it's, an, crazy. it's an addiction. It's an it's a, is, is it the same as cocaine, they say, or crack? It is that dopamine hit. Yeah, that, that little bounce of reward that we get. But you've also got to think as well in relation to the next generation and what we're teaching children. That was my next point to you. Ah. My next point was this next gen. My next point was social media and Instagram with these young girls who are 13 who are making themselves up by all these different things on the apps, making filters. themselves the 18 and filters. And my next point was about the the suicide rate of these young kids. Mm. What the hell is going on? There's several points. I mean, one's on social media and one's on tech use. And I, I read something the other day and it was saying that there are 30% of kids under two in this study could use an iPad before they could talk. And you're just like, we're we're teaching the younger generation, particularly with you know the fubbing that we talked about earlier when everyone's on their devices yeah. and what we're teaching. And one of the you know really detrimental points in relation to wellbeing is we're not teaching kids to have time and space to just think or to wait because be it's constantly kids. or to go outside <laughs> yeah. to be actually with other kids yeah. but it's that fact of when they're bored there's an ipad yeah. it's fine play on my phone and not just to sit with that and to 
you know work out other ways to, yeah. to have, have fun you know and it's constantly getting that quick fix yeah. that we're, we're teaching but social media is a huge thing a huge huge thing and, and one thing particularly about eating disorders has always been more associated with women with, with girls uh, but there's been a huge increase and social media is attributed to that with men and eating disorders. With what, men eating disorders? Yeah, in t- uh, 2000... What, eat, eating disorders and eating too much or literally not eating? Body dysmorphia. Um, so literally about, you know, the gym, working out what they look like, comparisons with social media. It's t- uh, 2010 to 2017, there was an increase of 70% of guys being admitted to hospitals with forms of eating disorders. And that has strongly been contributed yeah, to social yeah. media and it's all that this is the comparisonitis we're talking about earlier and you know am i getting the right angle in my gym yeah. selfie and, and all of this about this comparison of i should look like this yeah. and it is really really damaging and it's it, about how it's, you look and not how you feel mm. yeah and who you are as a person yeah. without sounding too cliche yeah. but it's just all about appearance and yeah. like you say these filters yeah. and you know what the distorted messaging around what you know people should look like and looking at celebrities and things and it's really really yeah. damaging yeah. really damaging what's the solution about troll Oh, perspective, talking. Um, again, it could be a bully. I think it's perspective. I, I keep seeing this thing all the time about trolls, and it's it's putting them in their box. I mean, I don't know how you deal with them. I mean, I've never. I don't <laughs> understand. I don't understand why Zuckerberg and all the big guns out there who own your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Instagrams, why you don't have to register to an account. Why can someone hide behind an account and no one knows who they are and abuse other people? Why is that not just stopped? Well, it should be. I suppose they go back to freedom of speech or something. I don't know. Not, not something I, I would know about. But I think that would cure it, wouldn't it? If you've got a, if you've got to register, you've got to register for all your other accounts. You do. Yeah, and you know, on LinkedIn, people are putting comments. You know exactly where they work, what yeah. they do, and how to get. Well, LinkedIn's hold of them. very friendly, isn't it? Hmm. I feel sorry. I feel sorry for the next generation. That that well, next generation is even lower than that Gen Z coming through. But there's lots of positives as well with social media as well. It's not all just neg. Well, you look, you know, I've listened to your podcast and you go back to how you grew the business, you're handing out your flyers and everything yeah. else. And I listened to Eddie Hearn. We used to do a lot of the same, you know, about hand, handing out the flyers and how to grow a network and how to get your events yeah. and people there. You know, I'd like to turn it around a bit. H- has it made it? Yes, you could. It's easier to get. You don't actually hand to physically hand 20,000 flyers out. You can just do a post and get. Yeah. that many hits but what it must have brought in problems as well as it is it um, more competitive oh it's, it's a lot more competitive because mm. people weren't but you know when we were doing it from 99 2008 and you were you were printing million flyers each year and you knew you had to get a million flyers to hand you know imagine one flyer was an a6 like that i know that you're on the street or you're in a back in my day back in, i sound like an old man here but when we were promoting you you were coming out of bars and there were three nightclubs one in your train i wanted to give you that flyer mm. Because you put it in your pocket, you'll read it. And the next morning you go, I want to go to that club next week or whatever. It was one flyer because I knew I was taking door money at these nightclubs. So, you know, so if you went to a city and I handed out 100,000 flyers, now when Zuckerberg landed on my lap in 2008, I could lay in bed, press a button. I can lay in bed now and press a button and talk to the whole Bournemouth Sevens fans, mm. which has been an absolute game changer because it's allowed us to go global. Mm. It's allowed us business to go global. You know, I set up a sports arena called Five for Ten. We went global very quickly because of social media. Bournemouth Sevens is known in all the major rugby playing and netball countries around the world because of social media. You know, we've got more people coming through the doors because there's lots of celebrities tagging us in when they've been to Bournemouth Sevens Festival because of social media. So, so there are positivities for for business. There's Positive. loads and loads of positives used in the right yeah. way, and that that's for marketing. And I think the disadvantages come when you try and market yourself because it's about what how you can 
present that veneer. Yeah, yeah. And you know as well as I do, there are a, a lot of people, you know, you know, and I'm not exempt from any of these, but they want to go from zero to CEO within, you know, six months now. And there's this, we look at a ladder and we look at the rungs that it's, go up the ladder. Self, it's, everyone wants instant gratification. And do you know what? To take it back to mental health, when I was at my lowest, I felt as if I've got a gamble because I haven't got time now to work my way up a corporate ladder. Mm. I haven't got time now to do all this. Mm. And I thought, right, well, I've got to double the stakes. You've got to double it. You've got to jump high. You've got to go for mm. it because you haven't got, and this is all fear. It's self-limiting yeah. beliefs. Whereas actually with education, you want someone to say, well, just do that. Do look after today and trust tomorrow will look after yeah. you. Go to that next week. Just but no one's taught out. us. No one's taught me business. No one's taught me how to be with people. You 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 learn it as you go along. No one's taught you how to be a mum or how to be a dad. I think it goes back to Simon mentioned a ladder. Mm. And thinking about those rungs have got to be quite close together mm. to enable us to climb it. And yeah. people try and bound too high yeah. and stretch themselves too high Agreed. to reach that that dizzy height as quick as and possible. Yeah, but course. it's about the journey because no one ever gets to the destination. And when you get to the destination, the destination in business is apparently when you sell your company. Yeah, I've sold a company. What a load of tosh! <laughs> Don't get me wrong; it's great, and you get but it doesn't. I enjoyed the journey more. That's the enjoy. That's the point, though. You've got to enjoy the journey because yeah. that's everyone says. I'll be. I'll be happy when. You know, I know I'm working really, really hard. And that goes all the way back to the point about Absolutely. burnout. You know, and I'll be ha I know I'm working really hard at the moment. I know I'm not doing the things I enjoy, yeah. but I'll be happy when yeah. X, Y, Z, sell the, you know, the business, yeah. make a certain amount of money, have a certain car, but they're not enjoying the process. Yeah. So yeah. it strips away all of that joy yeah. that's meant to enrich your life. You know, mm. part of running a business, being an entrepreneur, all these wonderful things mm. is meant to be flexibility, freedom, all those wonderful things. Yep. But when you're entrapping yourself in this concept this notion that i'll be happy when yeah. you're never actually going to be in that moment no, because you forget to have fun and when i was when i was really down my mm. life I, you know, I had to reach out and i had a life coach and i'm not ashamed to admit it a lot of people yeah. say oh i can't call that i can't say well in sports you'd have a coach you'd have a therapist course, you'd yeah. have a nutritionist everything else and yeah. we're no different and um and what she said to me was you've forgotten to have fun mm. you've literally forgotten to have fun you, you go you're telling everyone oh mum you don't understand because I, you know I'm in this you don't yeah. understand you're pushing everyone away yeah. and what you forget are those those stupid moments like you and your mates down the pub the other day yeah. where you just down tools for a yeah, bit and yeah, you can yeah. be stupid you can have fun but it's all about fun business is about fun we come in every day want to have fun we want to have fun and it will grow and it will grow because if everyone's having fun they're just on the same journey to make, make it work yeah guys I've absolutely loved this hmm. Simon and Sadie it's been an absolute pleasure to chat you for a whole hour been great as really Super. enjoyed it yeah. it's been fantastic it's and been conversations really like this because yeah. we're all going through we could go, go on for hours we've yeah. gone for hours I think Absolutely. we could yeah we could do <laughs> maybe we do a part two or a, a, in, in part three maybe maybe a part two and a part three <laughs> yeah, a we time. really appreciate we really appreciate this big fans and you've given us a platform and, yeah. and a lot of people if they can just change one person and that one person says I thought it was just me yeah we've all made a difference amazing Absolutely. let's end it on there fantastic cheers thank guys you. really appreciate Thanks it so thank much. you so much take care bye